Hey, Job. What? <laughs> Why are you upset to start an episode? What do you want? Look, it's your fault they were recording this at 1.07 a.m. on Halloween, okay? Listen, listen, man. I'm nice and spooked, mm. but this is the sleepy schedule I'm on now. I don't go to bed till like 4 or 5 a.m. because I work nights. So this is just like where I'm at now. That's fair. That's also my sleeping schedule anyway. I'm just giving you shit because it's funny. Um, Man. All right. Well, what do what you uh, what do you want to talk about today on today's episode? I guess it's spooky season. It's the spooky Boo. time. I Hopefully this episode Boo. will be up on Halloween. If not, Boo. you can just pretend it's Halloween with your brain. Boo. You can do it. Boo. Boo brain. Ah, <sighs> oh, yes. Boo brain. Delicious. Hmm. <laughs> Delicious boo break. Have you? Have you? Uh, wait, what up? What's up? I got a work gave me an Oreo that says boo on it. It's frightening. For Halloween. Frightening. How ghastly. Ooh. Ooh. Well, oh, have uh, have you been doing anything fun for the Halloween time? I know that you've had a uh, much uh, more hectic uh, life schedule as of late, but uh, have you yeah. have you been doing anything? Uh, to get into the season. Absolutely, I've been doing a few things. Uh, well, we did it. We did your playlist, which was a lot of fun. Yes, uh, that was a great time. If you would like to watch that, I uh, it is the pinned tweet on my Twitter. That's at Genhart all caps. Uh, you can also just type in uh, uh, fuck. I think it's Spooky Time Four Ghost Protocol. That is a playlist Correct. that has a uh, hundred something odd videos in it of just varying quality uh <laughs> but but all but all but all funny i i feel uh i i do that every year that's a fun time to do and I, I don't know we'll, oh, I love we'll see if i do it next year i say that every year though and then i find a hundred more videos on youtube somehow i don't know how i do it i love it I have a great time every single year i enjoy it much and then uh the other thing i've been doing is uh me and my wonderful girlfriend have been uh, watching the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films together. Uh, yes. We're on. Uh, we, we didn't get to finish them before Halloween. We're gonna watch a couple of them. We're gonna watch uh, five and the fifth and sixth ones. Oh, so you're uh, in the tomorrow. you're in the uh, the bad ones now. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Man, I got I got some I got some fucking complaints. Well, just like just like in Halloween, man, they did like the fourth one. They did. They did. They took, brought the people back from the third one. Did them all dirty. Killed them right away. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. Halloween does that multiple times. Um, Lori's killed off twice, basically. Right. In in four, they say that she's dead and then that, that therefore she's not here and then they bring her back for h2o and are all like no she never died it's fine and then they kill her at the beginning of resurrection for no reason it's so yeah so dumb well horror movies that uh do that a lot when they have a long series and it's like very evident that they uh should not have continued it like because three works as an ending in general for that entire franchise Right, and then it just kept going. Uh, we we saw that with the Friday the Thirteenth movies as well, several times. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm thankful they continue to release for a little bit because six is really good. Yeah, but six is the best one. So even though four is the natural ending point, I I feel like six 
is the best one. But in between those, you have five, so it's a little messy. Yeah, the the, the generic like two by four in lows of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. It's funny. I will give it props for being funny trash. Absolute trash, though. Yeah. Well, I have been watching uh, far different horror movies this season, um, and this will probably be a bigger project that uh, isn't necessarily just for the Gen and Jub show. Uh, I've been watching every single Universal classic monster movie from the 1930s, yeah. 40s, and 50s. Uh, I say every, but it's it's really hard to know what that means. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So there's the Blu-ray set uh, that has 30 movies on it. This is mm-hmm. uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, Werewolf slash Wolfman, Invisible Man, Mummy, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Phantom of the Opera. And all of those, except Phantom of the Opera, have their own individual sets that have all the movies pertaining to that monster. And, okay. But they initially released it as a 30-film collection. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, however, is the 1942 version, which is a remake of the silent film with Lon Chaney Sr., not Junior. Right. Uh, so Wikipedia lists Phantom of the Opera twice because of both versions. And I guess I would just probably do that as well watch both versions because uh, they're they're very different movies why would i just watch the remake and not the original but then that's the question of like well how far do you go if you are expanding it past that 30 film limit <clears throat> do you watch all the universal horror movies or just the ones including the monsters themselves because there's a lot of movies that aren't you know specifically dracula that have vampires in them. And there's a lot of movies that aren't particularly Frankenstein movies that have mad scientists in them. And then there's, you, watch, uh, you know, there's movies with Bell Lugosi and Boris Karloff that aren't any of the big monster movies. It's, it's a big question. I'm, I'm limiting myself to the monsters. And if I decide to keep going, I will do it independently, but I'm doing this uh, potentially for a video where I rank them all and see what's best and what's worst. I think I already know the answer to that question, but we'll, we'll see. I'm like halfway through. Imagine watching every Universal monster movie and not watching the, the mummy starring Tom Cruise shaking my damn head. That does not count. I said classic. <laughs> That's not what I would refer to as a classic. <laughs> That's another thing, is if you include... <laughs> Past that uh, classic era, you have to put things into consideration like the Brendan Fraser mummy movies, uh, Dracula Untold, uh, Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman. And these are not things that I want to watch, Jusby. So I'm limiting myself to the black and white era, although I think Phantom of the Opera is in color. It's the only one of the ones that is in color because it was very expensive at the time. And also these movies, I think, look better in black and white than they would have in color. Um, yeah. I also like those kind of movies in black and white anyway. Yes. Um, so I have so far finished Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Werewolf and Wolfman movies. I've just started Invisible Man. Uh, Shoutouts to the original OG Invisible Man, by the way, because that movie slaps. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. It might be one of my favorites 
at the top of the list. But I still oh, yeah. I still got the Mummy and Invisible Man itself has like six movies in it for no reason. Same with the Mummy. Uh, Black Lagoon's like a trilogy. I, I didn't even know that going into this. I thought there was just the one movie, but of course not. And then the the uh, the two Phantom of the Opera movies. Uh, and we'll see what's the best. I'm leaning towards Bride of Frankenstein remaining at the top, which was my favorite even before going through all of these. It's a great choice. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite movies in general. I think. Like, like, let alone universal horror classics. But, uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Uh, I'll probably talk about some other stuff I've been watching in, in the podcast proper. But that's about it. It's a spooky time, and you watch movies because there's nothing else to do on Halloween. What are you going to do, go hang out with people? You can't because the real spooky thing this year is the COVID-19. So right. stay at home and, and watch dumb movies. Hell yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd do that anyway because I fucking hate everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean uh, yeah, well, now you can do it and be socially acceptable, Justin. Welcome to the Ken and Boo Show. That's Boo. Not my a name. Spooky ghost. Not my name. I am alive, I think. Uh, it's hard to tell these days, but I am alive, I think. Yeah, and I'm Jub. I'm not a ghost. Okay. Genhart's lying. I wish he He's was. He's a ghost. Anyway, well, welcome welcome to our program. Today we're going to talk about The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, uh, which is yeah. a good, good movie. Now, uh, previously on our series, uh, we, we talked about Fellowship for an entire episode. Um, were you able to watch the extended edition this time around, or were you stuck with no. theatrical? Okay. I'll be stuck with that. I just decided to stick with theatrical the whole time, maybe. We're just going to do it. Okay. That's okay. Um, I think we can continue that into The Hobbit as well, because I'm going to watch the extendeds uh-huh. of The Hobbits as well. Uh, I own two of the three, so it will be pretty easy to finish that off. And uh, I will let you know how bad they are, because I don't remember them being good editions, unlike Lord of the Rings, which are mostly good editions in the extended yeah. versions. But anyway, uh, this time we're going to talk about other stuff, too. So, uh... How, how have you been, Justin? Have you been doing anything interesting besides yeah. working? And there is uh, one game that I that I got that I would love to talk about. Sure. Um, I picked up Star Wars Squadrons. Oh, the flying! I one. got it. <clears throat> I got it as, a, as an early birthday present from my brother. God bless him. Um, goddamn, dude, they knocked it. Like, I wouldn't think any of these EA Star Wars games would be good, but they're finally starting to get good. Previously with Jedi Fallen Order, and now with this. Yeah. EA Motive knocked it out of the fucking park. I guess that's two for this four. Is, yeah. This is uh not that Battlefront is like shit. I'm just saying like it had a it had a rocky uh start <laughs> at the very least. This is the true spiritual successor to like the X Wing and TIE Fighter games that I've been waiting for for twenty years. Oh yeah? Um we we finally have like a flight sim style Star Wars game back again. 
That's and cool. We, 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 like, there, there's a whole community of people that love these games, but just waiting for somebody to fucking make it. Yeah. Just nobody has. The closest thing we have is like that weird Jedi Starfighter game that was okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was uh, like Rogue Squadron kind of games and shit. But uh, yeah, Rogue, th- those are much more arcadey. Yeah, I'm not, they don't have yeah. like the. I'm just saying, as far as games that focus on the space combat, there there have been those, but for the most part, nothing that's like <clears throat> truly sim like in mm-hmm. a long time. So I'm cool. I'm glad that you got that. It's not really my cup of tea, but I'm glad that they put it out for people like the justin yeah i absolutely love it. i'm playing through the campaign story's okay not really in it for the story i just want to like fly around and learn how to do stuff and it's it's really mechanically dense uh, a lot of the game persists not just around like being accurate and like being able to lead your shots properly and fly around well but also resource management hmm. in that like you have three different settings on your ship um one that powers your guns one that powers your boosters and one that powers your shields and you can interchange how much power you put into each one out of your total 100%, right? Yeah, okay. So you could shift it so, like, if you get into a combat scenario, you could boost, like, all of your power into weapons. And then get more laser damage. Or if somebody's coming at you and you need to shake them, you could either try to boost and, like, maneuver through stuff to get out of the way, or turn your shields on and hunker down for a second. You could also adjust where your shields are. You could pull all of your shields off of your back and shift them all the way to your front. Wow, that is okay. Versa. Cool, huh? You'd, so, a lot of the game is figuring out how to do all of this like quickly and fluidly to like get the upper hand in combat. Um, well, one thing that I've been loving doing lately, and in the little bit I've gotten to play this, I've only played it for about maybe four and a half, five hours total. I've had it for like a week now, just have, haven't had the time. Um, but one of my favorite things to do right now is you could drift in that game. Oh really? You like you you put all of your power into your boosters and you start in like you there's like a boost button you can hit. Uh-huh. You put that shit and then you crank and you you crank you crank your stick and then you hit the boost button again. And Tokyo and drift. You drift. Yeah. Damn. Or well, I it's so Star what, Wars, not Tokyo. Uh uh <laughs> Dan, Above Yavin 4 drift. Dantooine drift. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say a planet Alderaan. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not all. <laughs> uh, no. But that's that's really cool. Uh, yeah. So my my favorite thing I've been doing is like uh, if somebody like gets on my tail and I can't shake them, can't shake them. Right. I'll uh, right. I'll I'll do that drift, and as I'm drifting, pump all of my power into my front shields, shift to weapons, and just blast them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel so good when you can pull that shit off and you take somebody out. Oh. I bet. I bet it's cool when you flank somebody and you give a big old uh, Han Solo Yahoo and then they die. Yeah. And they didn't see you coming. Yeah, she like that happens all the time. Yeah. It's probably really There's cool. A lot you I should do. probably look up some gameplay of this game because I haven't seen anything from it besides uh, <laughs> besides one thing, which I guess is related to something I was going to talk about. Uh, Next time uh, you visit my brother, just be like, hey, boot up Squadrons because he has it too. I've been playing with him. Okay, fair enough. I, I saw that there was DLC for that game that just adds a baby Yoda to your dash in your ship, like a little baby Yoda, uh, bobblehead. And I was like, that's stupid, but I bet someone will buy it. (laughs) Can I get a, can I get a star Wars episode two attack of the clones Anakin bobblehead? Yeah. I want them like Burger King toys for revenge of the Sith that had the giant fucking heads for no reason. Remember those? Yeah. That's that's what I'm thinking of. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Give me a water one. <laughs> hey, I am Put on my dash. <laughs> You'd make a good pilot, no? Hey, take that power up and you're sealed, eh? God. Racist impressions, but it's okay because it's a Star Wars character. Anyway. It's fucking wild, bro. <laughs> Shit. Speaking of racist impressions that are okay. Uh, ah! Um... <laughs> That's probably not the best segue. Anyway, have uh, have have you heard about uh, Borat Two? I have. I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? I have watched it. It's very good. Oh. Um. Oh, really? I wouldn't call it a racist impression. It's it's you know it's for like a, it's I guess maybe it is, but it's for a purpose other than being racist. Um. But he's also Middle Eastern, so like. Yeah. Well, I think something yeah. that's like really funny that's been pointed out to me is that when Borat uh, speaks uh, the, the Kazakhstan language, it's actually like him speaking like Yiddish and shit because he's Jewish. And that's actually really funny for a lot of the humor in the movie because like Borat is incredibly afraid of Jews and thinks that they're like the worst thing ever. Right. Uh, so it's like I never realized the amount of irony that was going on with that. But anyway, I'm coming at this from like an interesting perspective because for whatever reason, 2006 came and gone for me without seeing Borat. Like, really? like the first one. So I didn't watch Borat until this year, the first one. And then I watched it, it just because Borat 2 was coming out and people were talking about it again. And uh, that movie's really good. And I'm kind of mad really that I good. never watched it. I always assumed that it was like just, you know, kind of like overly crass, like humor that like I would have been into when it came out, but not anymore. And a lot of it is really obscene and fucked up. But I think the thing that makes it really funny is it, it's uh, something that's lost on some people who, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, he's not making fun of foreigners. He's making fun of white people exclusively who, based on their stereotypes of what they think foreigners are, uh, believe the insane things that come out of his mouth. Uh, like, like right. believe that he's a legitimate foreigner. And that's where all the humor comes from for me. Just all these like hidden camera skits that just work tremendously well because people are lulled into this false sense of security and they say some fucked up shit around Borat. <laughs> um, and what I was alluding to was I think there's a significant amount of people that dug Borat 1 for the wrong reasons and now uh -huh. Borat 2 is coming out and they're doing this whole, like, you know, the kind of like, oh man, I liked Borat before it was political kind of thing, which is hilarious to even think of. That's always been... <laughs> yeah, that's the oh, thing. Oh, God. But, I mean, this take is happening, because um, the right wing is very pissed off at this movie, because uh, they are the target of many a joke in this movie, and some of their, um, you know, uh, leaders are the target of some of the jokes in this movie. And, you know, it's just, it's quite crazy to me the uh, level of person that he was able to prank in this. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about the Rudy Giuliani bit. 
Yeah, so tell me about... I just want to know one thing about it. I'm going to watch the movie on my own at some point soon here. Go ahead. Because I, I really enjoyed the first one. What do you want to know I just about know, it? Is, 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 is it what like everybody's saying it is? So, I, I think contextually in the movie it's still pretty sus of rudy giuliani i i wouldn't explicitly say he is shoving his hand down his pants but it's still pretty sus because he he clearly thinks that he's going into a hotel room with a young woman uh there's no reason for him to think she's 15 i think that's just part of the gross joke that uh <laughs> sasha baron cohen delivers when he enters the 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 room uh I, I think Giuliani is uh, low-key hitting on her and low-key maybe thinking that something will happen. But I don't I don't necessarily think it's anything outwardly, like, super inappropriate because there's, like, the illusion of consent happening. And I, that's not particularly wrong, but it is extremely unprofessional and creepy from on Giuliani's part. Uh, so there's that at the very least. Now, they are seemingly suggesting that he was reaching into his pants to fondle himself, and he says, no, I was tucking in my coat. There's not enough of it to really know what was going on, because, I don't know, like, Borat enters the room really quickly to make the, the big reveal joke happen, where Giuliani's like, what the fuck is going on, and it works really well, it's really funny. But either yeah, either apparently. either way, I don't know how in the wrong Giuliani is. It's just really funny. I, I don't think yeah. he, people necessarily have to be using it as a big gotcha Giuliani canceled thing because, well, I mean, you probably should already be doing that just based on the dumb shit he says constantly. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did hear uh, – I did like watch an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen about that scene. Yeah. And he said that he did intervene early because he thought that uh, she was in danger. Well, that's part of the thing is it's it's hard to know. Um, like he might have thought he was reaching into his pants and then he intervenes to, before it gets further. Because yeah. um, his interest is protecting the safety of the others. So the other actress that plays his daughter in the film uh, is probably who he wants to protect there. And I don't blame him one bit for doing that. <laughs> Because uh, he's fearless, he'll just put himself in harm's way uh, for the, his comedy, but not doing so to others is good. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of what he was saying about it. It's like, like if it was me in that room, I would have just let it keep going, but like, I'm not putting her in danger. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, because it's hard to know what he's going to do. You know, you can't just leave that up to chance, you know? So, right, exactly. Exactly. Um, it, the, the whole thing is still pretty sus. I'll, I'll give you that. But uh, in terms of if, of movie, it's really great. Um, it's a very different movie from Borat 1. And Borat 1 doesn't really have a plot. Uh, and this one does, I would say. I mean, it has a loose plot, the first one. But it's mainly an excuse to have him film a bunch of hidden camera skits. And as a result, I think the first one is funnier. Because the second one has more of a structure. And has more of a point to it. But the point is a good point, and a very relevant one for today, in its own dumb way. I'm not saying this is like a great story or anything, because it's not. It's a dumb comedy movie where, you know, (laughs) Borat, uh, you know, 
goes to an abortion clinic with his daughter and asks them to remove the baby that he put inside her. Uh, it's all a big misunderstanding, Justin. Don't worry about it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, like, you know, the, the, all these dumb things that happen, it it's, has more of a structure than the first movie. And okay. there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm glad that they made it different. Like, it stands out in comparison to the first one. And it's still really funny. Um, so I would recommend that. Uh it is just on Amazon Prime. You don't have to, like, buy it. It's not, like, you know, I was very worried that movies were going to go this direction after Disney tried it with Mulan, where movies would go to streaming services, but then they would cost an extra amount. Uh, thankfully, it's just on Amazon Prime. You don't have to pay anything else. Amazon Prime's already expensive, so fuck that shit. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, like, you get a lot of stuff with it, but it's also, like, it's up to, I think, like, $17 a month now. Yeah. So, like, shit. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on Amazon, actually. I'm surprised. Um, I just finished uh, season two of The Boys as well. Uh, that's an excellent, excellent show that I, really need to watch that I recommend to anyone. Especially you, because you read the comics. I love, I absolutely adore The Boys. So yeah. Like, I probably should watch the show. Well, so here's what I'll say about it uh, to maybe uh, convince you to watch it eventually. Although that hasn't worked multiple, that hasn't worked before. Because uh, I think you still yet to have seen uh, Watchmen. I've watched the first two episodes. I am chugging along very slowly when I can. <laughs> All right. At least you started it. Um, it's very good. Continue it. You didn't even get to the good I, stuff I, yet. Although it's I will. Good. No, it's fantastic right from the jump. Yeah. I, I, I've already really enjoyed it so far. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm going to finish it for sure. Okay, cool. So The Boys is um, it's based on the Garth Ennis comic book that is basically a satire of superheroes it's about a group that you know when the superheroes get out of line they go and knock their heads together ostensibly and um the show i'm very pleased to say is just outright better than the comic um because the, co the comic is is good but you have to like be in the mood for a Garth Ennis comic before you read it, because Garth Ennis is, um, you know, he's a very good writer, but he also kind of can tend to um, get a little distracted with trying to shock the reader with, uh, you know, graphic sex and violence and crazy shit happening. And The Boys yeah. is him trying to do... He's dialing up to 11 in that comic and trying to do it constantly. And... I think the TV show is a little more concerned with telling a better story and having its characters more fleshed out. Like, uh, the superheroes in particular in The Boys, the comic, were very one-note. And in the show, they're a lot more fleshed out. They all have personalities and arcs and stuff going on with them. And it makes them less of a... It makes it less of a black-and-white scenario. Uh, which is good, because, you know, you need a little more nuance for a television show because there's a lot more dialogue and a lot more time spent with these characters. Uh, the guy who plays Homelander, the Superman esque character is ex incredibly good. Anthony Starr. Uh, he's fucking phenomenal. It's like the best evil Superman that take that has ever been done in my opinion. Um, like, and, and they do that a lot. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, everybody struggles to know what to do with Superman. Make it, What if Superman was bad is a take that happens a lot in, in fiction now. But um, It is, like, overused at this point. Yeah, but uh, this is, like, the best version of it, hands down. 
and everybody's good in their respective roles. Um, the boys themselves, I guess, the group, uh, Carl Urban is like the best Billy Butcher I could have asked for. Um, it's really good. I, I can't really say much about it because it is actually very different from the story of the comic. If you read the comic, there's a lot of surprises and twists that you would not see coming at all because it's stuff Ooh. that doesn't happen. And I think it's because they're genuinely trying to improve upon it, which doesn't happen often with an adaptation. Usually they make it worse. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's impressive to me that they're actually succeeding in uh, exceeding my expectations with this entire thing. I think it's genuinely better than the comic. Um, it's less focused on grossing you out and having crass jokes and having a laugh at superheroes than it is just making a good show, which is cool. Uh, highly recommend that. Listen again, I'll watch The Boys, mm -hmm. but you have to you have to you have to watch the first season of The Witcher for me on Netflix. Oh, I'll do that. It's like eight episodes, right? I, I want to watch that yeah. anyway. It's fantastic. All right. Well, you should want to watch The Boys anyway, regardless of what I I'm tell going you. To or watch not. The Boys anyway, but I, I but I just want you to watch The Witcher. Mm. Now I got one more uh, show I want to talk about before we dive into Lord of the Rings. Okay, yeah, go ahead. This is a bit of a weird one, but I wanted to recommend it, especially if uh, you know if you're listening to this on Halloween and you want something to watch. Um, it's a little show. It's a British TV show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, it's all on YouTube. You probably just searched Dark Place. Um, there's a playlist of all the episodes. It's only six episodes long, and that's all they've made, and that's all they should make. Um, so it's kind of complicated to explain it, but basically the idea behind it is it's a fake TV show that was produced in the 80s that is terrible. That is about a hospital called Dark Place, uh, run by a, you know, very, like, you know, godlike, uh, <laughs> doctor man, who's an action man, doctor man, uh, 80s hero, and, uh, you know, his cohorts and things at the hospital. And just weird stuff happens at the hospital. Cr creepy, freaky things. And he solves them every week. Uh, but in the concept of the show, it is written, directed, and starring a man named Garth Marenghi, who is a Stephen King-esque person. He's like a parody Stephen King who is terrible. Um, he's completely full of himself. He thinks he's the best writer of all time. And the actors are all playing characters who are playing characters in the show. Because in between the segments of the show, it cuts to like interview footage that is supposed to be the actors and crew talking about the experience making Dark Place. Now, it's all fake. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's... On purpose, a bad show, and it is some of the funniest shit I have ever seen in my life. Uh, it's just like, you know, it's the best bad acting on purpose I've ever seen. Like, it comes all the way around full circle into being good acting, because you have to have somebody who is acting as a character who is acting as a character... And the person they're acting as in the first place can't act. 
<laughs> which is complicated. And um, it's uh, – dang it. I forget the name of the guy. Uh, Richard uh, – I forget how to say his name. Richard Oyambe. Richard Richard Oyambe. Richards. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think Oyambe. Yeah, he's from uh, the IT crowd. Oh, and you'll okay. probably recognize a lot of the other British actors in it. Um, there's uh, guys from, like, you know, the Mighty Boosh. And uh, I think I've showed you that scene from uh, that show called Snuffbox with the uh, the guy yeah. who... Um, uh, <laughs> the boyfriend scenes where, like, he, he's, yeah. like, hitting on a girl... And then he finds out she has a boyfriend, and he just instantly says "fuck you," and and, <laughs> and does something terrible. Um, that guy's yeah. in it. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to shout out that show because it is truly like I watched it with your brother and his boyfriend uh, a couple weeks back, and we just like laughed for like like two hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> like because it's it's okay. only six episodes long and they're all like 20 minutes long so if you watch like the whole playlist in a row that's just like two hours and you've watched the whole show and it's just it's constantly funny and it constantly finds new ways to have terrible shit <laughs> um there's an episode where the main character uh is caring for a child that he wants to protect that is a giant eyeball uh <laughs> there's uh <laughs> There's an episode with Scottish ghosts. Uh, there's an episode where the entire world becomes apes. Uh, you know, there's just uh, just insane garbage that is all terribly written and terribly acted, but on purpose. And the way that they illustrate that to you is done in an extremely funny way. Oh yeah, that sounds great. Check out Dark Place. Hell yeah. Alright, Ken. The time? I believe so, Justin. Alright, hit me with it. Lord of the Rings, Dose Towers. Lord of the Rings, 9-11 was an inside job. Whoa, whoa! Calm the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. Sorry. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about a conspiracy later. Anyway. (laughs) Sure, sure. So this is uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, the movie we watched for this week. Uh, Released in December of 2002, a year after Fellowship, a year before Return of the King. So it's the middle film of a trilogy. And I think that means that, like, to Peter Jackson and everybody filming it, it was the toughest of the three to plan out. And this is mainly because the book was not planned to be a trilogy. There's no clear beginning, middle, or end. It's just all the Lord of the Rings to J.R.R. Tolkien, you know? Uh, Like, even in the adaptation itself already, they took stuff from Two Towers and put it at the end of Fellowship to make it have a better ending feeling. Like, Boromir dying is in Two Towers, but they stuck it at the end of Fellowship to make it feel a little more complete as a movie. And they did similar stuff here. Like, they moved Shelob over and uh, stuff like that. Um, and I think they mainly do this by making it so the battle at Helm's Deep is the conclusion of this arc of the story and I think that was a good choice because that's a great battle 
to choose to like fully realize because mm -hmm. uh, as far as I'm aware the battle scenes in the actual text are very like like it's just like a couple paragraphs that just like they fought at Helm's Deep <laughs> yeah no it, it really is like that yeah and so like it, it's turned into this giant fucking 40 minute long epic fight that is probably one of the best big scale war scenes ever filmed and it's definitely up there god damn I, every single time i watch this movie it's like oh Helm's deep is so good yeah i think it's only topped by the action that's in the third movie but uh it, it's still like just a great set piece and a great piece of action So it just has like so many layers and arcs to the combat itself. True. That's what's so good. Yeah. So before I get too deep into this, what is your like overall opinion of this movie? I assume you like it. Uh, oh, I absolutely <laughs> adore it. Like like all three of these movies, I, I it's it's technically my least favorite of the three, but that's not saying much because I still like. Yeah, I could see. It's that. still like near den out of den in my books. I fucking adore it. Mm. Um, I it's. it's Great. I genuinely can't decide if I like it better than Fellowship or not, but they're all so close in my head. Like, because they're all one collective entity in many ways. Right. But yeah, I, I think I would say Fellowship's better, just because I like the, the introduction to the characters quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Me too. But this definitely has great stuff in it. So many aspects of the book were changed to make the adaptation have more tension and to have more of a role for some of the characters as the story continued. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a plot in the movie where Merry and Pippin hang out with Treebeard the whole time. And this was kind of, you know, Treebeard decides to fight immediately in the book. He's like, uh, Saruman's fucking up the trees. Fuck this shit. We're going to beat his ass. And in the movie, it's he, they had the ends have to be convinced and that this is accomplished by Mary and Pippin kind of befriending Treebeard and going on a bit of a journey with him to, to uh, summon the other ends. And then eventually they trick him into <laughs> seeing uh, the destruction that Saruman has done to the forest uh, with his own eyes. And uh, yeah. this whole arc is kind of just there to give a little bit more tension as to whether the Ents will come and save the day at all. And I think that works because it also gives Merry and Pippin something to do instead of just being sidelined for a whole arc of the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really clever. I, I mean, like, it, it's not like it's anything too crazy, but I, it's really that entire segment is just really big world building stuff that I love a lot. Yeah. I mean, the Ents are fucking cool. And they all look different too, which is something that like really struck me as like kind of incredible. Like each different ent has a different design to it. They could have easily yeah. cut some corners with that, but they all look different. They're like different they kinds of trees and they have different faces. And that's kind yeah, of it's... that's kind of true for everything in these movies. Like orcs look different up close, which is fucking crazy to me that they went to that level of detail. Yeah, because it's because it, when you when you have those up close shots, it's all different people like having their makeup done by these crews. Yeah, like they they just they just went in on every little aspect of design. Mm. I love the design of the ants. Uh, it's fucking brings that shit to life so good. Right, and uh, and like even even by today's standards, like they, they did a really really good job. 
mm-hmm. with with the design of them and even like you know I know they use miniatures a lot for their stuff. They and did, things. and things that were not quite so miniature. There was like a fourteen foot tall puppet that they used for Treebeard. Uh, not for every scene, but you know that like you know shots of Mary and Pippin hanging out on him are like they needed something to hang out on, and. Uh, I was actually reading, it's kind of funny, that, like, when they would do for lunch, it would be, like, it would take so long for them to get down from that puppet that was 14 feet in the air that they kind of just said fuck it and stayed up there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they would just have people pass them up their lunch and eat on top of Treebeard, which is funny. that's awesome. Uh, So we've kind of already gone over the, like, long, troubled pre-production and the massive scale of the entire trilogy, and that's why we're not going to, like, go into that today, because we already did. But, you know, the, the second film does have stuff in it, like cast members that weren't in the first movie. So I guess we could talk about that. Um, we got Bernard Hill as King Theoden. Uh, so Hill has appeared in, in such uh, award-worthy films as Titanic... And uh, the, the the Scorpion King, but anyway, he's really good in this. <laughs> um, I think the the additional characters of the uh, King Theoden and uh, the people that go with him to Helm's Deep uh, are are a very good addition and give a more grounded uh, arc for this movie because a lot of the characters aren't necessarily human and relatable, but. Uh, this whole Helm's Deep conflict with the people from Rohan, uh, I think it gives it a bit of a human side to the conflict. Yeah, like, especially what you see with the first movie, it's much more fantastical because you're spending a lot of time with, like, the elves and in their region and everything. Yeah, this way you have, like, a more grounded battle. You know, like, Aragorn himself yeah. is, like, not necessarily a human, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, um... I think Bernard Hill does a great job. He seems kingly. Uh, he was the captain in Titanic. I think he plays roles like this often, um, where yeah. he's like a man of stature or a man of like command. And he does a really good job being creepy early in the movie when he's like infected by Saruman's influence. Uh, that was like a shitload of makeup on him, but uh, to, oh, yeah. to help uh, drive that effect home. But his acting in the the creepy role is really good too. Uh, speaking of that, you have the guy whispering in his uh, dark uh, stuff in his ear, played by Brad Dorf as Wormtongue. Uh, Chucky himself, we've seen him before on Gen and Jub in a uh, terrible movie, Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie edition. But, uh, yep. you know, I mean, that doesn't mean he's not a good actor, though. <laughs> I like Brad Dorf, uh, and he's uh, suitably creepy in this as Wormtongue. Um. But I guess uh, maybe more importantly, you have uh, Eowyn, played by Miranda Otto, and Eomer, played by uh, Carl Urban, which I did not recognize at all. Uh, I, I <laughs> guess I'm more used to seeing him as Billy Butcher now, uh, to bring it back to an earlier discussion. But uh, yeah, I just straight up did not realize that was him. Uh, these movies have so many people in them, though, that it's hard to like yeah. you know, forget this shit. These fuckers have had, like, everybody in them, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we got Faramir, Boromir's brother, making his first appearance in this, played by David Wenham. Uh, I thought this was him, but I wasn't 100% sure. I recognized him from 300, actually. Uh, he is the eye patch guy who gets to mm-hmm. live 
the only one of the 300 Spartans that lives because somebody had to tell the tale. Um, but I think maybe most importantly, we got to talk about the CGI characters that gets added. So first off, we got Treebeard, who has a, a big role. He's voiced by John Reese davies who plays Gimli as well. And I think that was kind of a mistake. If like I'm, I'm not about to say he put in a bad performance, but I think the voice is too similar and noticeable. Yeah, I noticed it right away. Like, I knew this before I even looked it up, because I was like, that just sounds like him, but with, like, some effects on his voice. And I, I don't know why they couldn't have just casted somebody else to be Treebeard. Um, there's a lot of talented voice actors that would have loved to do it, I'm sure. Uh, now, granted, you have to get really nitpicky to have a complaint here. <laughs> so so I guess this will be my one nitpicky complaint is that I don't know why they just had him do Treebeard but more importantly we gotta talk about Gollum and that's Andy Serkis who, is, who has yes. made a career out of playing CGI characters beginning here and continuing uh, he plays King Kong with Peter Jackson directing uh, he plays Caesar in the Rise, Dawn, and War of the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Uh, I think that's possibly his best role. Um, but Gollum's really fucking good. Uh, and super memorable. Like, instantly iconic performance. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, now, the first film did have fully CGI characters, but the sequel required these characters to now, like, act... Uh, which is a much harder feat. So, like, Gollum has aged as an effect, but I think it's still pretty fucking good. And at the time, it was well, revolutionary. Um, like, I, I think, like, for an effect from 2002, Gollum's pretty believable. Uh, yeah, it looks great. I think a lot of that is Circus's performance. I think that's a lot of why it holds up, because he sells it so well. And, and that's because they mo-capped him on set, so like everything that he would do, they would animate later on. Uh, Circus said he based yeah. his portrayal of Gollum on the behavior of heroin addicts, which uh, makes sense. Uh, the ring is his addiction. Uh, now, maybe it's because I just watched Dracula, but um, I kind of see like the lineage of characters in my head uh, go from Renfield all the way down to Gollum. There's a bit of Renfield DNA in it. I like. I feel. I, I haven't seen any quotes huh? from Andy Serkis saying if that was a inspiration, but like you know, the creepy guy who says "master" a lot and eats gross shit and is creepy and has a bit of a dual personality uh, is a hundred percent what both of these characters are. <laughs> and yeah. it, it was just weird to me that like I was seeing, you know, echoes of it maybe here. Um, I don't think it's too much of a stretch, but anyway, which is a big part of selling it is based on a cat coughing up a hairball, according to, uh, Andy circus, which, yeah, I, I get that when he just like goes like golem, golem. And like, is, uh, doing it very grossly. So yeah, it's coughing. The, the, the Gollum voice is not easy to do and it would hurt a lot. Uh, so to keep his throat wet and not hurty, 
during the harsh vocal performance, uh, Circus drank what he refers to as, I shit you not, Gollum juice. I knew you were going to say Gollum juice. I've heard it before. Have you? <laughs> yep, I've heard about Gollum juice. Podcast title. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was a honey ginger lemon mix. Uh, so that probably like soothes the throat, like like a cough drop kind of feeling. I, I could understand that, um, and, and that probably seems pretty necessary when you're like constantly saying like "habitses" and shit, gross all fucking day. Yeah, I can't day. imagine. Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's got to be tough on the throat. You know, he's good. He's glad he's got his golem juice on hand though. <laughs> yeah, my favorite Snoop Dogg song, "Golem Juice." <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> now it's interesting to note that Gollum is in Fellowship briefly, and but he's in like Shadow, and that Gollum was in an altogether different creation than the model they used in Two Towers and Return of the King, not resembling Andy Serkis at all. Uh, by the time it became clear that Serkis's mocap performance would change the character greatly, it was too late, and this brief Fellowship cameo was already completed and you know the way that these movies were coming out like fellowship was done and they had to move on so jackson has joked about eventually doing a george lucas and replacing the old Gollum model with the new one but he never has and i respect him for not doing that and i hope he never does um, I don't think he will at this point. I, <laughs> this this far in, he, nobody's as crazy as Lucas. Sure. It's not going to go that far. Now, back. the last time <laughs> I personally praised someone for not being a George Lucas, it turns out they actually did. Uh, so I did a lot of research this time because <laughs> I didn't want another uh, <laughs> Sam Raimi uh, digitally altering out Robert Tapert situation. Uh no, Peter Jackson hasn't added anything to these movies. Uh, the edition that's on DVD is to. the edition that's on Blu-ray, and I'm okay with that. He has he yeah. he can ruin stuff with CGI later, like in the Hobbit movies. As he as he does, yeah. These movies are these movies are basically perfect, and they should not be touched. Period. Very true. Um, and I, I really fail to see where any improvements could be made. Um, I wouldn't even want them to recast Treebeard, even though I just complained about it, because that's how the movie was. You don't need to fix it. That's just how it was. Uh, I think the mistakes you made should still be in the movie. I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not, but I think that's part of the history of the movie. And I think it's yeah, fun I, I agree. to talk about and point out these things. Uh because it really just, you know, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to talk about the making yeah. of movies. I, I, you know. Yeah, well, shit happens like in, in every yeah. in every production. Like it, it's fine. It's not it, fun. It's, it's, it's charming to talk about how they moved Han Solo's head two inches to the left so that he doesn't get shot by Greedo. That's not fun, right? I, <laughs> it, it sucks. I hate that shit. I hate the Lucas edits because it sucks a lot of the humanity out of the early Star Wars films. Yeah, I think Han Solo like, is a gonna, more well-rounded character if he's just begins the trilogy as a straight-up murderer, and then ends the trilogy yeah. as a hero. You know, I think that makes a lot more right. sense. Yeah, it, it just like takes I don't know, like like filmmaking in general, like is very human. It's a very human like 
yeah. you know, art form. And, like, a lot of it is expression, you know. Put the wolf, and, put like, the wolf man back in the cantina, please. Right. Like, and, and, and like, <laughs> human expression is never perfect. Sorry, you were saying something so, like, important, and then I interrupted to say, put the wolf man back in the cantina. <laughs> Sorry about that. Go ahead. It's okay. No, it's, I think, like I said, human expression is flawed. And so, like, when you put that expression into a format such as film... Um, those flaws are going to show up, and that's great. I think it's, it's it's just emblematic of who we are. We are all prone to mistakes, even even people, even legendary filmmakers. Yeah, I, I love that shit. One hundred percent agree. Speaking of mistakes, keep it all in. Speaking of mistakes, uh, Viggo Mortensen made a mistake during the filming of this movie. Uh, <laughs> so early on in the movie, when they uh, when uh, the, the the squad thinks Mary and Pippin have been uh, kidnapped by orcs and possibly burned and mistaken. Like, like they think they were mistaken for orcs and burned along with everybody else. Yeah. Uh, Aragorn kicks an orc helmet at the big pyre of bodies. And this moment is yeah. uh, very significant because uh, Viggo Mortensen actually broke two of his toes here. And this would uh, oh my god! This and that's the take that's in the movie. Uh, him kicking an orc helmet and uh, screaming in anguish about thinking Merry and Pippin are dead is actually him screaming in anguish that he broke his foot. But um, you know, he he acted through it, and Jackson was like, "Wow, that was a good take. Lots of good energy." And and, and then Mortensen was like, "I'm dying." But uh, so <laughs> you know, it's cool that he acted through the anguish. Um. Now, Mortensen, you know, always acts really cool when he's interviewed about this, and he's just like, you know, he just plays it off and says that the stunt people dealt with far worse, and, you know, he was, he was just trying to be tough like everybody else working on the movie, but, like, I think that's kind of, um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, everyone was kind of getting fucked up during this movie, because this is a hard, tumultuous production that took more than a year. And everyone got injured, basically. Like, everyone. Yeah. Uh, I was reading about uh, the scenes where Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are running, and it's like a big wide shot of beautiful New Zealand countryside with them all running. Mm-hmm. So that was done with all three actors actors injured in the shot. Um, Vigo with the aforementioned broken toes. Orlando Bloom had broken ribs. And then uh, Brett Beatty, who is Gimli's stunt double, uh, had a knee injury. So basically when takes ended, uh, the actors could finally shout ouch and and then go on with the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, man, that's... It's rough, but yeah, I'm glad they pushed through it. And that, that those orc helmets have got to be heavy as fuck. Yeah. Um, if if he broke two toes. Well, they did did a hell of a job making the stuff in this trilogy. I was also reading about how like the uh, the barricaded gates at Helm's Deep were made so well that uh, when they needed to film the orcs, you know, breaching the gates, it took several tries because they made the doors so fucking sturdy that they couldn't be breached easily. Oh my god! Like, like Peter Jackson, like joked, like if I ever need to actually do a castle siege, uh, I'm gonna have Weta Workshop make the doors so that you know nobody can get in because they won't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
So let's so let's talk about this. So I watched the extended. Yeah. Uh, have you you've seen the extended for this one though? I, I think. Yes, I have. I this is the only extended uh, that I own. Right. So one of the things I want to talk about is Aragorn is 87 years old, and I didn't know that until I saw the extended version. Right. Um, well, I did know from somebody telling me a couple of years ago, and I was like, that doesn't make no sense. But, I, yeah, Aragorn's 87. I think it's a weird part of lore, and like I can understand why they cut it out of the theatrical version. Uh, he just casually talks about it when he's talking to Eowyn, because like, Eowyn's like, you couldn't have you know, seen, like, the same battlefield as my uncle, and he's like, well, I'm 87, lol. And she's like, oh, that's fucking weird. So he's, he's, he's <laughs> a, he's a Dunedain? Or, or however you say that? Which is, uh, I'm, I probably butchered it. Close enough. Uh, uh, Close enough. Who cares? Made up language anyway. It's a race of men who live three times as long as ordinary men, and this aspect of his character is left out of the theatrical cut, which I have to assume led to some people not knowing this for quite some time, like me. Uh, I mean, it's really not important to the plot, really. It isn't, but it's weird. Um, I, I like it as an idea, but I think it's strange... It, it's strange when Aragorn's plot has to deal with him being mortal for him to live three times longer than most people. You know what I mean? Because a, a lot of his plot, at least his love interest plot, has to do with the fact that his elf uh, girlfriend will, uh, you know, see him die inevitably because she will live thousands of years and he will only live hundreds of years. Right. I think him being not just a mortal man kind of makes that uh, storyline not as compelling to me. I think, it's, I think it's the same. You just have to think about, like, the dimensions of it. Just like you said, like, it, that's still, like, thousands of years compared to hundreds. It is. He's still... He's, he's still only going to live for, like, an eighth or a ninth yeah. of her lifetime. Man. So, like... Being an elf like, comparable, be weird. like... Yeah. That's, like, comparable. It's, like, it's like that's, like, you know, the love of your life dying in your when you're in, like, your 20s or 30s. I, I could see that, like, I guess. I could see that, I guess. I right. just think it would, it, would even, like still, it would even be more tragic if, he, if like, she can only spend, like, 40, 40 years with him instead of 240 it's like well that's that's just genuinely a longer time like you'll be all right uh no (laughs) (laughs) it's still really tragic like i just want to say that it's silly i i I know i think their relationship is handled really well and really seriously and it works um but i find it kind of silly that yeah, it's goofy. There's, there's a lot of stuff about the Fitzgoofy. Well, I mean, it's fantasy. It's, it's, it's I'm, I'm not saying it like as a yeah. huge negative. I'm just saying. Now, like the biggest thing that I noticed in the extended edition is uh, there's a big beefy scene that's just straight up not in the theatrical edition that is incredibly important, and I don't know why it's not. And this is um, Faramir. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you'll remember this. There's an integral flashback with Boromir yep. and Faramir, and we get more Boromir, more Sean Bean in two towers, right. which is cool. And it's a flashback scene to them uh, having just successfully uh, won a battle, and they're celebrating. And then uh, Denethor, their dad, shows up, 
and we get uh, you know their relationship teased out that will eventually uh, be shown more in Return of the King. Denethor idolizes, or well, not idolizes, uh, like he respects his one son. Boromir, and not so much Faramir. Like, you know, Boromir's the one that gets all the glory and praise from his dad, and then Faramir's like the, you know, the neglected one, for whatever reason. Um, so this kind of explains why Faramir would want to take the One Ring to his dad to gain his favor, because he's been, you know, looked upon with shame his entire life. And I think that explains a lot about his character in this entire movie, where his whole arc is holding Frodo and Sam hostage and wanting the ring for himself and not letting Frodo go on his quest until the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, this scene makes that make sense more. Mm -hmm. I was actually, uh, when I watched it, I was waiting for that scene to pop up because I haven't watched that theatrical version since I like saw it in theaters, basically. Mm -hmm. So like you thought it was I was in waiting there. for that scene to pop up. I was like, "Where's Boromir at?" Right. And then like it didn't happen. I was like, "Oh, that's the extended edition. That's weird." Yeah. And then I think that is like like you were saying. I think that is really integral to like understanding like Faramir's motivations and everything. Well, I could see why uh, they would cut it out. He comes off, but still, he comes off like really strange in in this movie, like the theatrical version. Like he has like no motivations besides like you can't like really tell there's like a throwaway line about like you know yeah doing it to impress his dad kind of but right. like it's not like important or anything it's not like you can't tell that he's trying to prove something with that it's just like ah, he just wants it because you know it'll make him win or whatever right which is not like it's not a good motivation well i think the big reason so I, I find it weird. i think the big reason this is cut is i, I gotta assume the first stuff that you're going to cut is stuff that actually has more to do with movie three or movie one than movie two, because that doesn't move the plot forward for movie two. That is more about teasing stuff for movie three and connecting it to movie one. So I could see yeah. why that would be like on the chopping block early, but in my opinion, it's really integral. And one of the many reasons why the extended edition is the, the, the edition to go with to watch for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep, wholeheartedly agree. And speaking of Faramir, that arc is not in the book. Um, he, yep. uh, you know, the whole arc with him wanting the ring to give it to his dad and holding the hobbits hostage. Uh, Faramir is apparently really easy, uh, easily ignores the ring's temptations in the book and kind of just is immediately heroic and immediately believes Frodo and immediately lets him go. Uh, now, Jackson felt that this was kind of an inconsistency because if the ring works in this way where nobody really can resist its power and how evil it is, it, it would work on Faramir. So Faramir would want the ring. Um, this change is controversial among hardcore fans of the book. Uh, some make fun of it and point out the line where Sam says, by all rights, we shouldn't even be here. Uh, as a joke, because literally they shouldn't be in that location because they d aren't in the books. Uh, <laughs> mm. But um, I think it's a good change. 
And I, I think the less people complain about it later on because, well, once Return of the King came out, they would have a much bigger controversial change to focus on, and we'll get to that next week. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, 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 I kind of like think it does make sense. I think Jackson has a point that like having Faramir just let them go is a little too easy. Yeah, no, I think it's excellent, actually. Yeah. Well, I think it works way better with that additional Boromir and Denethor scene. Uh, I think you need that for that arc to work, but I digress. Yeah, I mean, that's like, in the theatrical version, I think that, like, kind of is, like, the worst part about the movie, even though it's not really that bad. It's still pretty it's like, good. In the in the theatrical, it's hard to understand his motivations and why this is happening. Yeah, it kind of just feels like he's being an asshole. Right. Which he is, but he's doing it because he thinks he, like, needs to. Like, at least his motivations right. are clear. So. Yeah. Helm's Deep. Let's get to that. One of the biggest and most complicated set pieces for the entire trilogy. Uh, took the longest out of any mo- moment in the movie. Which makes sense, because it's like a 40-minute long thing. Uh, it took four months solid to shoot. Helm's Deep, which is fucking nutty. <laughs> um, uh, and all of that, most of it at least, is with the rain machines on and soaking people. And uh, so I just assume everybody was injured and sick the whole time. Uh, the crew, in fact, uh, I was reading this on IMDb, so take it with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, everybody, like the, all, all the crew, um, got shirts made that said I survived Helm's Deep uh, because the filming was so fucking hardcore. <laughs> and uh, uh, f- there's been reports of people in New Zealand recognizing each other because they have shirts on that are identical. Like, there's so many people that worked on these movies and so many people that have these I survived Helm's Deep shirts in New Zealand that, uh, you know, haven't seen each other. Or maybe even never met, because there's a lot of people in these movies that have never met each other but worked on them, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Just because there's such a large amount of people, that's uh, like, hey, you survived Helm's Deep. I survived Helm's Deep. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Um, so there, it, this called for tons of actors, and one of the big parts of this is the Uruk High who I like to refer to as the Chad orcs. Uh, So (laughs) they're supposed to be tall and imposing. So mostly they're played by men who are six feet or taller. Now, not enough men that tall were recruited. So there are some shorter Urukai here and there. The crew nicknamed them the Uruk Low. Uh, (laughs) I think you should call them Orklets. It's like manlet, except orc. Uh, that is terrible. <laughs> no, I agree. It's pretty terrible. I'd be ashamed. Jusby, you still there? I'd be ashamed of yourself. Oh, yeah. okay. What's no, up? nothing. Uh, okay. Sorry. Perhaps you can edit that out later. Wink, wink. Get your shit together. I'm not going to fucking edit it. The people need to see how much of a dummy you are. You fuck. That's rude. 
Just because your audio clipped out for a second doesn't mean this is my fault. Anyway. Haha, <laughs> we got him. So, anywho. Yeah, I mean, what, what can you even say about Helm's Deep? Dude, it's just such a good fucking scene. Like, like, all, like, you could just list your favorite moments out from just this scene, let alone the entire trilogy. Like, there's so oh, yeah. much going on. Uh, did you hear the Wilhelm screams? I, I did. heard the Wilhelm oh, screams. Oh yeah, every single mm-hmm. one. They're fucking fantastic. I'm glad they're I'm in not there. Sure. You've gotta gotta have leave a good Wilhelm scream. I'm not sure if it's in the theatrical, but did you catch the Peter Jackson cameo? No, where's that? Uh, I don't know, somewhere in the Helm's Deep scene. I saw it when we were watching it, because Peter Jackson looks like Peter Jackson and nobody else. But, um, he he's one of the soldiers, and he kills an Urukai and goes, and then that's it. Um, his, his children are in this as well. They're uh, some of the kids, uh, in the, uh, locked in the, uh, like where they put the women and children at oh, okay. Helm's Deep. But like, yeah, just like the, the the arc of the battle is so cool and classic. It's just like you know, the classic like you know, there's only three hundred of us and ten thousand of them, and then like you know, they get the reinforcements and it helps them, and it looks like they're gonna lose because them Chad orcs are crazy and fucking suicide bombing the castle. But uh, you know, they're able to succeed with the help of you know, Gandalf shows up at the last minute. Like the Chad that he is, and uh, just with yep, like, Chad with an ocean of fucking soldiers to fight. Uh, oh god, I love the effect there mm-hmm. when they the uh, shining when light. they're about to go yeah. jump in. Yeah, oh my god. Well, not to mention the score that Shit's swells cash. at that moment. Uh, yeah, that shit's so cash, dude. This, fucking sends right. The score is as good as ever. Sending shivers. Yeah, dude, it's great. Gandalf in particular so is fucking awesome in this movie. Um, him coming back, the intro with him fighting the uh, Balrog is fucking hella. Um, it's so good. And I like the design of him as Gandalf the White. I, I think Ian McKellen himself has said that he likes playing Gandalf the Grey more than Gandalf the White. And I could see that, but I think he he works as either. Yeah, he does for sure. No, I see. I, I also, I too like Gandalf the Grey a little bit more. I think most people do. That's just because he's more like playful and like more down to like a human level. He's more down to earth. Yeah. Like Gandalf the White. Yeah. When, when, like Gandalf the White is just like a fucking OP Chad monster and just like. Well, I think it, I think goes, the progression like, weird, like, works. I think the progression boy. works though, because he yeah. he does get to be a little OP because like you know he does things where he's just like slam jamming people like nothing and <laughs> but uh it, it's compelling that he like gets to come back because his task is not complete which is like you know adds some cool lore to the story i think you know there's some otherworldly forces at play here that maybe don't necessarily want the the dark lord sarhan to win here uh so <laughs> they send gandalf uh and he gets to do some crazy shit um Big surprise to me when I first watched this movie, because I thought Gandalf was fucking dead, dude. And I I think for people that haven't read the book, they tease that out quite well. Like, the white oh, yeah. wizard in the forest. Like, oh, that's Saruman, right? Nope. Hey, it Gandalf. Now, granted, the advertising for this movie kind of ruined that Gandalf was in it. 
But uh, <laughs> what can you do, really? Um, That's still great, though. Uh, yeah, I, I love the reveal. Um, when the, when the, the squad is in the forest and they all, like, you know, go to attack Gandalf and he just makes them fuck off because he's just that OP Chad now. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah. It's good shit. I, I like that how, like, uh, cool it is where he's like, Gandalf, oh, uh, yes, that was my name. And it's like, holy shit. Like, no, he actually did die. Like, 100%. But, like... Yeah, no, he's... Here's his... He's almost a different person. His ascended form. Yeah, it's like a different person. But, um... Similar in some ways, because, like, you know, at the end of this whole thing, you know, future spoilers, he laughs when Frodo recognizes him and shit. So there's, like, some of Gandalf still in there. But it's kind of like he just got resurrected, so he has to, like, remember who he is. I think it's, like, more like that. Yeah, like, he's, like, drowsy. Yeah, because it, like, literally just happened. Um, what what else? Awesome uh, what else can we talk about here? Man, I uh, oh, real quick uh, about Homesteep. Uh, I love the character interactions that happen in it. Um, especially the Gimli Legolas stuff is like primo goodness. Yes, I that that helps that scene feel like a Star Wars kind of epic battle scene where like you know what's happening should be fucked up. It's a big, large scale war, and I mean, I think Jackson makes it more fucked up than stuff from a Star Wars movie would be. But you still have these moments of, like, levity, where there's comedy, and, you know, Legolas gets to skateboard with a shield, and Gimli gets to get tossed and says, don't tell the elf. And, you know, all these, like, great, yeah. funny moments. Them, like, uh... Yeah, like, when they're, when they're counting. Comparing their high scores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's great. I love the toss me scene. That shit's so yeah. good. And then like when they jump in and they just start like cutting through the works, it's so good. Yeah. Love that shit. Love that shit so Their much. Their relationship so is one of my favorite aspects of the entire trilogy because they start out the first movie uh, hating each other. And then it's just like through nothing except the circumstances of this entire thing, they kind of become bros despite their respective races long-standing racism against each other uh mm -hmm. it just in spite of everything they become bros because their goals are the same and it's kind of neat uh and like you know it, it's <laughs> it relies on all lord of the rings the uh, i believe i have to die next to an elf then how about a friend it's like oh yeah that's the best <clears throat> I still think Above Love and Beyond Return of the King is the best of the best, but that's next week. That's next week, but I, I got, I, I love that. It's like my favorite line in the entire trilogy. I had to talk about it. Real they quick. might be mine too. It's at least up there. Um, although you shall not pass is really fucking good. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you shall not pass. It's fine, delivered right? really well. There's a. I really, really like. Uh, we talked a little bit about Gollum, but uh, the entire plot revolving around him is like so interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the Frodo's like establishing his trust into into Smeagol, mm -hmm. where uh, Sam starts off with these really, really bad intuitions about him, and it turns out you know he's correct. And 
Well, I guess he didn't have to be. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, I think the tragedy of Gollum is that, like, either one of them could have been correct, and it just ends up that Gollum's too far gone. You know, because Frodo's yeah. not wrong for wanting to see the good in him that could still be there. And I, Sam's not wrong in wanting to not trust him. Uh, it's it's kind of like it's all presented in a gray manner, which is cool for a story that, you know is basically about good versus evil that stuff like this can exist in it um it, it's all gray and like you know fucked up like i would i would hesitate to call Gollum a bad guy he's not the villain he's just he's kind of a victim of this more than anything else but yeah. he's still like an opposing force by the third movie for sure um it's a fascinating character and like you know him him yeah, feeling yeah. betrayed and maybe that impacts his decision to fuck them over uh the, it does the cliffhanger uh, I mean, like, is great in this movie where he says she could do it and and like it's just like what the fuck does that mean and i, I you know mm-hmm. book readers are like oh he talked about shilo but then me i'm just like who's she the first time i saw this i mean yeah, that shit's all, man. That shit's so good. Yeah, I, I love, I love the progression of it. You, you spend this entire movie basically with uh, with Gollum actually helping them, and then you get that turnaround at the end where you you get that like very very clear like description that it is about to not be that anymore. Yeah, it's like oh, it's really really fascinating. Well, I gotta say, um, like some of my one of my favorite scenes, it may be in anything, is when he talks to himself. And it's just shot like it's a conversation between two people because it goes like reverse left angle, right angle for the conversation. And it's just so well done and does feel like two differing points of view on the matter, even though they're both Gollum. And it's really well done. And then you have that again at the end of the movie, but maybe even more impressively in a two minute long shot of him talking to himself and scurrying about. And... From what I understand of how long it took to make even a single frame of Gollum work, I cannot imagine the amount of work, weeks and weeks and weeks, that went into making a two-minute-long continuous shot with Gollum in it. Uh, yeah, I, I, oh god. <laughs> uh, so that was a, a ballsy move for them to end the movie on, but it, I think it pays off quite well because it's such a good moment. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, I love, uh, I love the moment, uh, Gollum, uh, is about to get captured and, uh, he's, he's like just sitting there like beating that fish cause it won't die. <laughs> yeah. That's another aspect that, to his character. A- that's kind of interesting is that Gollum's fucking funny. Uh, yeah. because like it's so pathetic and so fucked up that like you can't help but laugh at it a lot of the time um mm-hmm. and it's presented in that humorous way like so frequently and i think a lot of that has to do with you know, andy circus of course but peter jackson has a bleak dark sense of humor in a lot of his movies and th- these are are part of that and i dig it <laughs> like like him yeah, him thinking the good food is disgusting and he would rather just like eat an uncooked fish and he's like you ruined them and, and shit yeah it's so yeah. funny oh with the uh with the, with the rabbits or whatever mm-hmm. and he brings the rabbit yeah, he brings the rabbit and sam's like sam starts cooking it and golem's just sitting there shrieking in agony yeah shit's great <laughs> great 
something I really respect this movie for doing, and like it, comparing it to Star Wars again, it's something that Empire Strikes Back does as well, is you have basically like three or four different stories going on at the same time. Now, they all like flow into each other and all have to do with each other, but they're all presented very separately, and that's something that Empire Strikes Back did really well. Like, separating your characters into their own individual plots and letting them all flow in and out of each other is uh, really hard to do, and they succeeded very well. Yep, nothing but respect for them for pulling that yeah. off. That's not that's not easy thing to do. A lot of like these kind of trilogies like attempt that shit and fail miserably. Right. It's hard to pace that out too, because like you don't want to focus on one thing more than the others. It feels genuinely like equal between Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli fighting at Helm's Deep, that whole storyline, to Merry and Pippin hanging out with Treebeard, and and that storyline, to Frodo and Sam and Gollum, and then later Faramir. And then you have, you know, at various points, those storylines branch out. Like, Aragorn gets lost for a while. <laughs> it has to come back. Like, yeah. that's its own thing. And uh, it, it all flows really well and does not feel like three and a half hours when you watch it, which I think is the best compliment you can pay these movies is that, yeah, they're super long, but I don't think they feel that long. Because you're like no. fucking immersed when you when you're going through them. Yeah, absolutely, you're fucking great. I uh, man, I'm having such a good time going back through these movies again. I was gonna do it soon, eventually, anyway. Well, probably pretty soon, actually. But, like, I'm, I'm glad we got to do this because, uh, man, I'm cool with doing forgetting job. I, I, I try to, yeah, I like I try to watch these movies like every couple years or so, anyway. Like, like I always talk about, they're like a very, very important part of like my life. So I'm happy to happy to be watching them. Hell yeah, dude! So let's wrap it up here. Against a budget of 94 million, uh, the movie grossed uh, a bit more than that, uh, 951.2 million, uh, which is Ooh. I think 50 million more than Fellowship, which of course it made yeah. more. Like the first film, it's a huge success with audiences and critics alike. It's got a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the highest of all the Middle-Earth movies, which uh, is interesting. Now, the, the uh, parts three and one are not far behind, though. Um, so, like the first one, it was nominated for several Academy Awards. Nominated for six, winning two. So it was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and Best Picture. All three of these movies were nominated for Best Picture, which is incredible. What an accomplishment. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. It's hard, it's hard enough to that. get a sequel nominated for Best Picture, let alone a third one. Um, and then obviously Return of the King ended up winning, which is fucking crazy, but we'll talk about that next week. Uh, and the two it won were Best Visual Effects and Best Sound Editing. Um, Jackson and co uh, petitioned heavily for Andy Serkis to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for playing Gollum. But um, the Academy in their, uh, let's call it wisdom, uh, said that's not a real performance because it's that CGI shit. Uh, and I think they still have uh, this designation. Like, 
Which the further yeah, you get into the film, same people. the further you get into the history of film, the more that's going to seem like a mistake. Because CGI characters oh, yeah. are not going away. Uh, now, usually they're in movies that wouldn't get nominated for Oscars, uh, but um, uh, that wasn't Lord of the Rings' fault. Lord of the Rings was a really also, good movie. So, also mocap is real acting. You're literally just acting with a mocap suit. Yeah, on. I, I think it's it's, it's, it's the same right. shit. You're just you're just wearing a mocap suit. <clears throat> you're doing the same shit. Like Andy Serkis acted still, he was just wearing a mocap suit. Yeah, it's very ignorant it's of them dub. to uh, say that. Uh, no way, the Academy being ignorant? What? What are you fucking talking about? Who, who would have guessed? So, where do we uh, rank this one? Do we say Fellowship's better? I think Fellowship's better. Still. It's um, not by a wide definitely. margin. It, it is, It is like, so fucking close. All three of these movies are. I mean, I, I think I already know like how I'm going to rank them because I've seen them hundreds of times. Yeah, I'm, I'm but, thinking 3-1-2. I'm thinking but um, yeah, it's gonna be three yeah. one two for me as well. But lit, it's it's still like, but it's not a knock on two towers at all. No, well, it'll be better than all the Hobbit it's, movies. I'll tell you that. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be infinitely better. All right. Well, before we go, There's I'd like to movie. have a dumb thing to talk about. Ooh, dumb thing. Let's go. All right. So, this film, as you know, is called The Two Towers, and was released in two thousand two. This is more than a year <laughs> after the events of uh, 9-11. Now, despite that fact, and despite the fact that uh, The Lord of the Rings has um, nothing to do with the uh, 9-11 attacks, and the fact that that title, The Two Towers, existed in, um, let me check my notes, 1954, uh, there was an online petition started in 2002 to change the film's title. Uh, I have a quote from that petition that we can laugh at now. Hell yeah, hit me. Quote, The title is clearly meant to refer to the attacks on the World Trade Center. In this post-September 11th world, it is unforgivable that this should be allowed to happen. The idea is both offensive and morally repugnant. Sure, sure, Jan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, Jan. You would go go back, you know, go, go ahead and hop in that hop in the Stargate TM time portal, mm-hmm. and uh, go go ask Jared Tolkien about it, so he can tell you to fuck off. He'll say, "What's nine eleven? Because it was nineteen fifty four. Damn it! <laughs> like how stupid. And like you know, it, I don't know. That was that was kind of in that era where um, people were uh, very. Uh, you know, trigger happy with the censor. Uh, things were getting censored left and right. You know. Uh, can, I, can I can I say it? Can I say mm-hmm. it? Americans were babies. They were being babies. Well, I mean, I can't entirely blame them, but but it, it is stupid when I, it's like this. This thing has towers in it, so we got to change that. Um, well, listen, I've had I've had somebody somebody who I knew was also like involved in nine eleven. And uh, you stop being. They needed to stop being babies, even at the time. Like I mean, I was younger, obviously, when that happened. But I was like, "Yeah, it happened." But like, stop being a fucking baby. Well, yeah, there's a lot of finger pointing at the wrong things, like you know. Yeah, it's it, it, it's Americans literally being children. As much as they talk about, like, yeah. especially fucking, like, especially I don't know, you get political about this, but especially like fucking 
all these fucking like America head ass fucking Republicans going like they are they are the biggest babies. They are the biggest fucking babies. Shut up. Yeah. It's pointing the finger at the wrong thing more often than not, you know. Uh huh. You know, oh, yeah. it's like, you know, Columbine happens. It must have been Marilyn Manson and Doom uh you know nine eleven happens. Oh well we have to change all the violent like there's any violence in anything has to be removed now. And it was like that for a couple of years before people like calmed down on the censorship. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. unsurprisingly, uh, Peter Jackson and New Line uh, did not change the title <laughs> of the Lord of yeah, the Rings. Maybe the because, uh, yeah, maybe because yeah, this is basically the name of the book from Fifty. Yeah. I, did you know that the two towers in the movie are not the World Trade Center, Justin? Did you know that? Did you did you know that Saruman <laughs> does not live in the World Trade Center? <laughs> <laughs> Hang it out. I have to take the elevator yeah. all the way up. Fucking. I know this may be hard oh for, for you to believe, man who wrote Petition 2002, but they were not making Urukai at Ground Zero. I, 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 I'm sorry to let you know that. I, I know that that's hard for you to disbelieve, but, um, you know. Man, how the fuck do you know that? Chugs a can of Milwaukee's best, loads up my 12 gauge. <laughs> anyway, uh,. That was the Gen and Jub show. I'm gonna get off of here and drink some Gollum juice. I don't know about you. Oh, dude, I'm so thirsty. I'm gonna go for some Gollum juice. Let me look up that fucking recipe. Hit me up, Andy Circus. <laughs> yeah, clear up this little throat of mine after talking for an hour and a half. Finally, some good Technically fucking food. for longer than that, though. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, let's go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go brew that shit up right now. You gonna brew some Gollum juice? Oh, hell yeah, dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink nothing else the rest of my life. Thanks for the recipe, Andy.